Hello, folks, and welcome back to episode 16 of Stop That Clock. And well, after a long hiatus of Sam doing his crazy adventures and me just kind of chilling, uh, <laughs> we are back for another episode and a special episode uh, because I feel, you know, on, on this podcast, we, we talk all football and, that, and that's great, but we haven't really been able to talk about the draft and, and all the prospects that are with it. And so today we are going to be dedicating a whole episode of Stop the Clock, well, to the one and only 2022 NFL draft. And this one, this one brings in a lot of intrigue. And, and we're obviously going to get to everything about obviously mainly the first round. But what brings in the most intrigue is we don't know who the number one pick even is this year. You know, other years, even last year, you look at it, we knew Trevor Lawrence was the pick. And then the year before we knew Joe Burrow was the pick. And then years before we knew it was Baker, we knew it was Kyler, we knew it was Miles Garrett. This year, we can't say definite it that we know who the number one is. Now there's definitely a small circle of guys that will probably be the number one overall pick, or maybe even just two guys who will be the number one overall pick. But I think it does bring intrigue. And I'm going to bring in my co-host Sam here and, and let's just get right into it, Sam. What, where do you want to start? Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned it. Let's start where the draft is going to start. And that's, that's the number one overall pick. I mean, as you mentioned, like we don't, there's not really a consensus guy. I mean, maybe there is, maybe a lot of people are saying Aiden Hutchinson, but there's also other names that are being thrown around. Cave, or Trayvon Walker is a big one. There's a chance it could be a tackle, maybe uh, Ike Aquanu or Evan Neal. But I think what makes it so uncertain is that all of the number one picks, with the exception of Miles Garrett that you mentioned in the last couple of drafts, they've all been quarterbacks. Lawrence, uh, Burrow, Kyler, guys like that. And even in those draft classes, there was more than just those guys. Like last year, there were five quarterbacks that were like, all these guys are going to go into the first round, similar to the 2018 with Baker and Allen and Lamar Jackson, all those guys. So when you don't really have those consensus quarterbacks, that's going to make them kind of tough. I mean, we'll get to this when I talk, when we talk about the quarterbacks, but there's not really, in my opinion, a top 20 prospect in this draft that is a quarterback, which just makes the entire draft very interesting. That being said, um, we both did our own mock drafts with our own podcast. So those are both up. So that's kind of what we're going to be using to reference here when talking about it. So we both went different directions for Jacksonville taking their first pick and a pick that they definitely need to nail. I mean, I made this a big point saying that Jacksonville cannot be back in this situation again next year. You can't be the first team to go three straight years. Back to back to back. Yeah. Back to back to back with a first round pick. It's never been done. Even doing back to back is you're in, I'm not going to, I guess, bottom tier company there. So I went with the safe pick and not just a safe pick, it's a great pick because I think Aiden Hutchinson easily has the highest floor out of anyone, any prospect in this draft. I mean, the floor that I would give him is a guy like Trey Hendrickson from the Bengals, who's come off of multiple 14-sack seasons. So bottom line pro bowler, in my opinion. However, you have sort of a, a pick here that's maybe a little bit riskier, but as we know, the Jaguars GM has definitely taken these kinds of risks with the 49ers before. Yeah, th this is where I like the 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 Jaguars going Trayvon Walker and everything you said about Aiden Hutchinson and even more is true. I mean, the guy is to me and when I look at Aiden Hutchinson, I think he's the best defensive player in this draft. Uh, and so you wonder why is he not going number one? Well, I, I purely think Jacksonville looks at it from a potential standpoint. You know, Trayvon Walker right now, he's coming in and he, he's, he's garnered a lot of, you know, hype. And I think that's something that the Jaguars are going to continue on. I mean, this guy's a 6'5", 275, and a 4'5", 1 at the Combine. Had an unbelievable three cone. Um, 
it's just he's he's a pure athlete. That's what you hear about Trayvon Walker. He's a pure athlete. He's athletic. And if you are able to get the technique into him where he can become that dominant force up front, that's what's scary about Trayvon Walker. I think Jacksonville looks at it from a potential perspective. Now, obviously, Aiden Hutchinson, you already know what you're kind of getting and not like you said, he's not the safe pick because he's still an uber talented guy. But if you look at Trayvon Walker, I would say the ceiling is almost a little bit higher than Hutchinson just because of that pure freak athlete that Trayvon Walker is. Yeah. And Trent Baalke has been able to hit on guys like that. We saw with Alden Smith, what he was able to do his first couple of years in the league when they took him over guys like JJ Watt, as well as Arik Armstead, when they took him, he's panned out to be a, a very good defensive tackle, but Moving on from the number one pick, something that I think is important for both these teams. This is the New York draft. I know it's in Vegas, but this is the New York draft. Both New York teams have two, I mean, two top 10 picks in this year's draft. Of course, the Jets are sitting there at 10 or four and 10. And then the Giants are sitting there at five and seven. And both these, both these teams have something to nail. So I think we both agree that they're going to go corner at four. Granted, for me, that's assuming that Thibodeau isn't there. You have mm-hmm. them still passing on Thibodeau. And then at 10, actually, look at that. That's crazy. We yeah, both we have got them these having the exact thing for the New York Jets. And we have them getting the skill, guys. As I mentioned on my podcast, they've really built the offensive line nice. They've gotten their quarterback in the future in Zach Wilson. Now they can go out and get some flashier guys. Sauce Gardner, who a lot of people, not me, but a lot of people believe is the best corner in the draft. And then they get some speed, some burning speed with Jamison Williams. Yeah, um, and we're going to start with Sauce Gardner because I think he is the best corner in this draft. Um, I don't think it's really debated, um, and we'll, we'll get into Singletary in a bit, uh, Stingley in a bit, because you know he's his own situation. I, I think that, like you've mentioned, that both New York teams have to nail this draft. Um, and when you talk about teams that need this draft, it's both New York teams. Both teams have been disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. They, just, they haven't been relevant. I tell you, oh, we've been rebuilding. When are you going to stop rebuilding? Like that, that's the question I have for Giants fans. It's always, oh, we're rebuilding this year. We'll, we'll wait till next year. And it's like, okay, it's been five years now, you know? And, and this, this is a draft, and I'll, I'll talk from the Giants perspective, that they need to really hit. And it might not be the sexy picks for the Giants. I think we both have Iki Aquanu going five. I think this is a pick you have to do. You cannot, if, if this guy's in your hands, you, it, it would be a huge, huge miss for the whole entire Giants front office because this is a guy that is really, really strong in the run game. And what do you have? A Saquon Barkley. How are you going to elevate his game? Getting him a tackle who can dominate the run game. And it's not like Iki Aquan, who wasn't good in the past game. He's progressively gotten better. Maybe he's not at the chops that Evan Neal or maybe Charles Cross is, but we've seen his progression and I think he's capable of getting to that level, but with a guy that's just super talented in the run game. And when you have this running back, who's basically on his final year, it's like, okay, what do we do with Saquon Barkley? Why don't help him a little and maybe show off the true potential that he showed at uh, Penn state. I, I mean, I agree. I think in this draft for the New York giants, whether it's at five or seven, if you do not walk out of this draft with either Iki Aquanu or Evan Neal, I view it as an absolute failure. Absolutely. Charles Cross is nice. You need to get one of the top two tackle prospects in the league. Dave Gettleman's big promise was that he's going to build up the offense line. He didn't do that. How about Joe Shane come out in your first draft as the Giants general manager and try and win back the hearts of some New York fans and really deliver on that and build an offensive line that is needed help desperately for the past five years. It has to be Ikki Corner. We both have them going here, but then with that seventh pick, we kind of have – some some differences you have them keeping their seventh pick and have them taking Thibodeau 
yeah. in your mock draft. Of course, Thibodeau fell to them. Thibodeau's not there in mind. Yeah. So I actually have them trading back more because the Saints traded up and I'll get to what the Saints are doing. But for me, I had them getting a Kwanu, but then them also requiring the two first round picks from the Saints, building up that defense, getting Jermaine Johnson into Kobe Dean. There's a lot of needs for both the New York teams, but personally, I think there's more pressure on the Giants to get this right just because they have a new coaching staff that's very highly touted. And I think the Jets have actually done some good things in the past few seasons building their team, whereas the Giants, I'm not so sure. So I think there's definitely more pressure on the Jets or the Giants in this one. Yeah, and I, I want to talk about this pick because I, I think this is a very interesting pick. And this this could we could see how this kind of shakes up the draft is that number six pick. See, you have Kenny Pickett, the quarterback from Pittsburgh going at six. I have Charles Cross the tackle from Mississippi State. To me, I think that Kenny Pickett is not to, you know, bash on your draft, but I, I would think it, to me, I think it's a bad pick if you're Carolina and you take Kenny Pickett. I think Kenny Pickett to me says, look, and, and we'll talk about quarterbacks. There. I think Malik Willis is by far better than, you know. Oh, Kenny I agree. Pickett. I agree. Um, and there's a lot of, and I'm just going to touch on that super quick. Sorry to interrupt. But <laughs> there's a lot of players that I had getting picked above other guys that I don't have over them. Ahmad yeah. Gardner, I know you disagree. I think Stingley's better, but I have Gardner going first. I, again, with you, you have Neil going first. I think Icky's better. Yeah. Players like that, and of course, with with Malik Willis and with Kenny Pickett, I have Willis la- or after Pickett, but I still think Willis is better. And, and the reason I just say that, that Kenny Pickett wouldn't be a good choice here is, well, look, you, you have a team right now that offensively is kind of staggered, right? You have CMC, who's he's coming off another injury. You have a, you have a good receiving core in DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. To me, it's, if you get Kenny Pickett, I don't see Kenny Pickett anywhere close to a franchise guy. And for a six overall pick to take him, you're saying, Oh, this is our franchise guy. I just can't see in Kenny Pickett being a franchise guy. So, and you got to remember, this is a guy you're going to have to stick with probably for two, three years, unless you have another, you know, Cardinal situation where it's like, okay, well we can't, you know, not draft this guy. Um, And so why I went with Charles Cross is simply because, well, you have to build a foundation first. You have to build some sort of offensive line to protect your guy. And, and, and that's why I like the Charles Cross pick. Um, but let's actually go to seven because I, I find it very interesting. You have Garrett Wilson uh, going at seven. Obviously, you have the Saints trading up pretty far yeah. to get uh, the Ohio State receiver. So th- this was one of my, my trades. Granted, this is probably my most unlikely trade that I <laughs> threw in there. But I, I wanted to have a little fun in this draft, of course, if you didn't see it. I, of course, the, um, the, excuse me, who they trade, the, the Giants are there at seven and the Falcons are a team picking an eight that I think a lot of people, including yourself, has them taking Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State, who I think is easily the best uh, wide receiver in this draft class. But I'm looking at the Saints here, who a lot of people have them getting Chris Olave or a receiver of that kind of caliber. And I like, I like the Saints here saying, hey, we're going to go and get the number one receiver in the draft. But not only are we going to get them, we're going to steal him from our division rival and pair him with our other stud Ohio State receiver in um, Michael Thomas. I just, when they made that move with the Eagles to acquire the other first round pick, I mean, they gave up a lot. They gave up a pick for next year, one of their picks this year. So it's, I find it weird that they, they gave up those, all that just to get two mid first round picks without the intention of trading up to go get a guy that they really like. And Hey, who knows? Maybe it is a guy like Malik Willis. Maybe they want to get a quarterback or they want to go after 
a DB like Sauce Gardner or Derek Stingley, but I think they're going to go and get Garrett Wilson here to steal him from the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, I, and I think we can both agree Garrett Wilson is receiver one in this draft class, and there's no doubt about it. He's He ran a 4.38. He can route run probably with some of the best in the league, and he has great hands. I mean, that that's what you look for. He's not he's not athletic. Ath- he can go up and get that thing. And, and he's athletic. Um, maybe he's not as athletic as the other guys, but I, I truly believe that the Saints kind of sit still. Um, and the reason why is just because – they made that move, obviously, but you have you still have Michael Thomas, who, in my eyes, is probably going to have a comeback year. Uh, I, th- I think he's probably poised for a really good year. Oh, I agree. I agree. Get, and if you get a guy like Garrett Wilson, I look at Garrett Wilson as an instant day one guy who can be your number one guy, where Chris Olave, he's super special, but I don't think Chris Olave has that exact where he can just fit in and be that number one guy. And so if you bring him to the Saints, it's like you're not asking him to, you know, be that true number one because you have Michael Thomas. He could not he's not sitting behind because he's still going to play a lot his rookie season, but he's not forced with the number one receiver tasks um, as Garrett Wilson would be. Yeah, I mean, it's I have Olave as my number two. A lot of people don't. A lot of people have Williams and maybe even London, which I think is ridiculous over Olave. It's funny because I actually have Alave then going to the Falcons where I guess he would be in that number one receiver role. But the thing is, I don't think he would. If you, a lot of people said, okay, he, they're trading back because this is the other, tra- I only did two trades, but the other trade I had was the, the Vikings. They see Stingley at eight. They're like, we need to get a guy at corner. They're going to jump up and get him. And the Falcons trading back after the Saints just got their guy, Garrett Wilson. Chris Olave is there. And a lot of people say, okay, Jamison Williams off the board. Why don't you get Drake London here? Drake London's big, tall, fast. He can win. He's an outstanding red zone threat. Who does that sound like to you? Sounds like a guy they already have in Kyle Pitts. Yes, it's a different position, but they're pretty much doing the same thing. Alave gives you something that you don't really have because Ridley's gone. I mean, you don't have really a true number one receiver at all, but get yourself Chris Alave, a guy who you can throw deep to, who you can – really do a lot of things with who I think is the number one route runner in this class by far and has proven it at his time at Ohio state. I mean, he's been there for all four years. He decided he could have gone to the draft last year, but no, he said, Hey, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to improve all my game. And that's exactly what he did being still the number one receiver in that Ohio state offense. Yeah, I agree. And while we're on the topics of receiver and while we're just bashing a USC prospect, Drake London, I'm not trying to bash him. I just, I, <laughs> I just think Olave is better. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I think it's, it, these receivers are really close in, in the skill gap. I think you have some guys who are really good at one thing, you know, I think Jameis Williams, I mean, it, it just jumps off the film of how explosive he is once he has the ball in his hands. Um, but anyway, talking about Drake London, because this is where my first trade comes in with Green Bay actually trading up into the early teens at 13 to get Drake London. Um, and this, this was something I had to debate. Cause I was thinking if, if you're Green Bay, right, you, you, you sit at 22 right now, you just lost Devonte Adams. Uh, your offense, you got AJ Dillon, you got Aaron Jones. Uh, yeah, you got Tunyon, but there's not a lot in that receiving core that you like. And to me, a, a guy that Aaron Rodgers would absolutely fall in love is in love with would be a Drake London type, you know, a big physical receiver. He's six, four. Yes. He's not, you know, the, the, the big thing about Drake London is he can't get that separation. Um, that personally, I, I think, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but I love when my receivers can separate. And so he's not that type of guy that can get the true separation compared to the other guys in this class. But I mean, with the with six, four in the frame that he has, 
Um, he has elite tracking skills, I think, especially in the red zone, like you alluded to. This is a guy Aaron Rodgers would day one fall in love with. And, and he would just become an absolute machine, I think, if he fall in the perfect situation. I think that's why Green Bay moves up, just purely because even like you have, he's going 21. He's not even going to be there at 22 uh, available for the Packers. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I, I absolutely agree that Aaron Rodgers would fall in love with him. I mean, the main pro comparison that he's been getting has been okay. to Mike Evans, which is yeah. Tom Brady's best friend now in Tampa Bay. <laughs> the thing with this pick that I, I I don't exactly love is that Green Bay has not taken a receiver in the first round since 2002. That's 20 years. Time's changed, man. So, I mean, and, and I, while I absolutely agree, never, yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree that this is what they should do. They have the ammo to do it. History has shown that they're not going to do that. I, I mean, in mine, I have them waiting and getting a guy like Traylon Burks who can do a lot of the same things. I just don't know how, as, as I think they should be, I don't, I don't know how aggressive Green Bay is going to be at going to get that guy. And, and obviously that's true, but they should be aggressive. I mean, <laughs> I, if you can get a guy like Drake London, especially if he even, you know, I, maybe he falls a little bit later um, into the later teens. Look, he's not getting to 22. Um, and, and if he starts to slip on those boards, it's like, okay, do we, do we make a move now? Because, you know, it seems like we need to. Um, but mo- moving down the, the, the draft, because I, I want to talk about Malik Willis. We both have him going. Yeah, let's at, talk to QBs. At, talk QBs. We both have him going, um, you know, to, to the Steelers. I have him going at 15 with Steelers making a trade. I think, and, and I don't know, I mean, your, your draft board shakes up a little different. You don't even have the Saints picking. Um between 15 I gotta and say before I think that was when looking at your mock draft I think that was my favorite part of your mock draft was you having the uh Steelers trade up to 15 I mean again the way users shakes out you got the Saints sitting there with two different picks and then you yeah. also have the Eagles there and the Chargers there teams that could potentially trade back and have another team go and trade up and get a guy. So I, I definitely like that move because the reports were coming out saying that Mike Tomlin is absolutely in love with Malik Willis. And, and, and that's what, that's what I, when I made this, you know, this trade, this theoretical trade on pro football focus draft simulator, <laughs> I, I was thinking about that. I was like, you know, like this, this team, they're, they're going to see him at 15 and be like, okay, we got to jump. We, we got to make a move, especially as, because there's really no team between 114 that I really think would take Malik Wills. Maybe the Panthers. I don't know. I don't know what the Panthers are really going to do. It's honestly a huge There's even reports that he could go number two overall, which I think is definitely a stretch. But, hey, the Lions could, <laughs> could go for that. I've, I've, some, I've seen people mock it. But I think regardless, wherever, you know, he goes 15 or 20, maybe, you know, the draft board shakes out. Like your mock draft where, you know, Saints really aren't picking in that position. There's not really a team in need of a quarterback. I think Steelers are the perfect place for a guy like Malik Willis because you just can't feel safe with Mitchell Trubisky as your QB one, you know? No, uh, you Even can't. if he has to start. Like, I can go into a season with him being like, okay, we got this guy in the back who I know is going to get coached up by one of the best coaching staffs in the league, who also has a competent defense uh, picking behind him. So I, I kind of want to talk about something that's that's a little interesting that definitely I'm sure has been on your mind a lot, and that is uh, your boys, your boys trading up, um, what is it, three slots to go get Nakobe Dean out of Georgia, how that shakes out in your draft. I mean, maybe a good thing because, I mean, in mine, he's not going to be there. Granted, that's because of the Giants trade. But tell me what you like about Nakobe Dean because sitting from an outside perspective here, I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, hold up. You have Leighton Vander Esch, who, yes, has maybe regressed a little bit, but is still a decent linebacker and can tackle. 
and then you <laughs> and then you have Micah Parsons, who is already one of the best defensive players in the league at that linebacker position. Is this really a position of need for the Cowboys when they lost a guy like Randy Gregory or they don't have another corner that you can rely on outside of Trayvon Diggs in that secondary? And also a team that's lost some offensive linemen. Is this the best pick for the Cowboys here? Yes. <laughs> it absolutely is the right pick for the Cowboys. I'm going to stand by it till draft night. Um, I, look, I, I understand there's, you know, we had Gregory leave. I could not care less about him anymore, but I respect to him. <laughs> you can have fun with him. He's going to be a bust. Anyway, uh, Nakobe Dean, I, I really like him at 21. And maybe like in, in your draft board, in, and this is just with either linebacker. If we had Devin Lloyd, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with Devin Lloyd. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really 1A, 1B with me. I'm not too picky. I just like Nakobe Dean because this dude is a freak athlete. And if we've seen anything with Michael Parsons, you can almost line this dude up anywhere. I mean, he there's 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 film of him guarding fast receivers. I mean, it's it's not like this guy can't go out in coverage, and then he can also at the same time, and he can go in coverage because he allowed thirty point seven QBR rating when in coverage, and then he can also rush the, the passer at an elite level. Um, and if there's anything that screams, you know. Jerry Jones wanting another freak athlete. It's a Nicobe Dean. It's really a Nicobe Dean. Yes, corner is going to be an issue, and 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 edge rusher is going to be have an issue. But I think there's guys, and with the the way that the draft history for the Dallas Cowboys has panned out, they are going to find guys in that second, third round. This is a guy like Nicobe Dean. You're not going to be able to find in the second, third round. So why not take a shot? I believe you know. Obviously. You know, you're not going to get an elite player maybe at the second and third round, but you're going to get a durable player, especially in the defensive end class, which is, I'd say, for the most part, the deepest. Um, And so you can get a guy like that in the second round. I really do like the pick, though. If the Cowboys end up getting George Karloftis, this is a guy I'm very high on. Um, I'm I'm pretty high on him. I I, I was watching some of him and, and just reading about him. This dude could be elite. I mean, this dude could be really elite. He has this, you know... Obviously, he has he's huge. I mean, he is an absolute beast of, of, of a human, but then he also has very good technique. Um, and that's something that I that I value a lot, especially looking at edge rushers. Um, that's why Kayvon to me is a little questionable, but I, I really like guys who are able to really good technique, whether that's a spin move, whether that's a swim move, and it doesn't have to be fully polished, but if they're able to use that besides just the bull rush, because a bull rush doesn't just work in the NFL. I mean, you got offensive linemen who are who are lifting 400 pounds on the regular. So it's it's that's not that's nothing to them. So finding guys with good technique um, is what I truly value, and especially an edge rusher and a linebacker. Yeah, I mean, I think the Cowboys are lucky if both of those players are there because for me, Carl has fell a little bit, and you're so did Nicobe Dean, and you guys were able to go get him. Yeah. I mean, just going back to Nicobe Dean real quick. I mean, what I love about him. I mean, if you if you say you watched the college football playoffs and the college football national championship you know and you don't Nicobe. know who Nicobe Dean is, you, you know probably didn't you probably didn't watch those games because he was everywhere. I mean, I think my favorite play of his was in the semifinal game against Michigan. He's lined up all the way out wide, I think guarding a running back or a tight end, like basically at the corner slot. There's a stretch run that goes the opposite way, and Nicobe Dean hawks it down for a like loss of yardage. I mean, it was plays like that why I think would definitely scream Jerry Jones to me in terms of – I mean, because let's, let's be real. The Cowboys, say what you will about them, they've been able to hit in the draft and might – and they usually 
go don't necessarily go after the need. They usually go after the best player available. And it's worked out for them. I mean, they have guys like Micah Parsons because of it, guys like CeeDee Lamb because of it. Guys like Taco Charlton like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that one. But I think what's interesting, though, is if they really want to go position of need, I think it's either going to be edge rusher or offensive lineman, but they could splurge to go Nicobe Dean. Um, bringing up the, you know, finishing up kind of just the, the overview of our picks, because I think there's, you know, some other stuff to get into just talking about the draft. I think KC needs to make a huge splash. And we, we both agree that they go, honestly, we both honestly agree they would go Jahan Dotson, whether that be the 30th or the 29th pick, yeah, and then they go corn. Um, you know, th- th- this KC draft, and, and we can go about a few more teams that really need to hit on this draft. And KC is probably top of my board. I mean, you look at a team, they lost Tyree Kill. Um, defensively, they got better throughout the season, but that doesn't mean they're still very, very solid. They lost Tyree. You know, well, the AFC West probably is now a top five, you know, division of all time. So it's like, this, <laughs> this has gotten crazy. And they, they have to, they have to hit on this because if they don't hit on this, they're going to start falling down that division. Um, and obviously Patrick Holmes is great, but there's only so much he can do with the receiver room that really doesn't have a definitive number one. I think Jahan Dotson is a guy who's probably one of the better slot receivers, if not the best slot receiver um, in this in this draft. And he's just a speedster. And there's plenty of plays that you can watch at Penn State where he is just super athletic and can go get the ball. Yeah, I mean, it's – look, it's – a lot of this is going to be in a lot of the mocks for KC have been about replacing Tyree Kill. And let's be real. You're not going to replace Tyree Kill. But you can try and mimic him in ways. And I think Jahad Dotson will definitely do that for you. He's a similar build, one, more of a shorter receiver, definitely quicker. Um, and I think they definitely have to go receiver with one of these picks. I mean, or if they want, and they definitely have the ammo to do this, you got two first-round picks. You can definitely trade up and get a guy maybe – like a Trey Burks or someone like that, or maybe if they're feeling advantageous and he falls a little, maybe a Jamison Williams, who's the closest thing to Tyree Kill in this draft. But I kind of want to talk about the other position here, corner a bit, because that's that's always been an area that the Chiefs have never been able really to replace since Marcus Peters got traded. And that's quarter. I mean, I have them getting Jalen Petre and you have them getting Roger McCreary. This could be early for both. This could be the per- perfect spot for both of them. I think... McCreary as a true outside corner is probably better, but Jalen Petre definitely gives them a little more, I guess, versatility. He played a lot of his snaps in the slot. He's played some safety before, so definitely a bit more versatility, something kind of that Tyron Matthew brought. Yes, they signed Justin Reed, but I agree. They they definitely have to hit on this ref. Yeah. so I want to I want to get to a big discussion because I, I think this is a discussion that a lot of teams or NFL teams are having is what do you do with Gardner and what do you do with Sting? Because I I think to me that's kind of that's kind of a debate of in both of both of our drafts, obviously we have Sauce Gardner going first, but it's who is the better number one um corner in this draft? Yeah, I mean it, this is I think one of the more fascinating parts about the draft as you look at it because it, it kind of reminds me just, just a little bit of last year's cornerback draft class when you had the two studs with Pat Sertan and J.C. Horn. Yeah. And again, I explained this on my podcast saying that I see resemblances in the way that both of these prospects were looked at throughout the season and then throughout the draft process. To start the season and going throughout the season, cornerback one was Pat Sertan. This year, it was Derek Stingley. But then as the season ended and we went through the draft prospect, you had maybe the guy with more size and more physical attributes 
in J.C. Horn and in Sauce Gardner really start to rise up the ranks and maybe take that number one corner spot. And we saw it work out last year. Pat Sertan's looking like he's going to be a top 10 corner this year. And that's not to say anything against J.C. Jackson. What's up? He won defensive rookie of the year because he was so good. Okay, well, that, that's a special situation. He would have if Michael wasn't in that draft. But not, that's not to say anything against J.C. Horn because, of course, J.C. Horn got hurt, so we'll have to see how that plays out. But, I mean, Derek Stingley was locking up some of the top receivers in college football as a freshman. Granted, he hasn't played a lot since that freshman year, but just looking at the, the footage tape of him going up against Jamar Chase in practice, I mean, you look at Jamar Chase in general, a lot of people are like, hold up, he took a year off because of COVID. How is he going to be coming back? I mean, he didn't play with Joe Burrow, of course. Then he went right back to Joe Burrow, and it worked out fine. But these LSU players from that 2019 National Championship team, this is the last key contributor that was still on that LSU team. And I think he's got something to say. And I think he's definitely the best man-on-man corner in this draft class. And that's why I'm going to pick him maybe against the size that Sauce Gardner has. I like Derek Stingley better, but I think – other teams definitely feel differently. So that's why I have the Jets going with Gardner first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's very close with, you know, Stingley and Gardner, but I, I and, and it might be cheesy to say, but I think if you haven't allowed a touchdown in your collegiate career, you are the better corner. Now, look, you're going to come here and be like, okay, well, what's the competition you're playing against? It doesn't matter the competition you're playing against. If you have not allowed a single touchdown in your collegiate career, I don't care who you're going against. I mean, that is that that is pretty remarkable. I mean, there, there's not getting anything around that. When I look at Stingley and, and there's his 2019 film, you know, if if he would have done that, you know, for three years, top three pick. I mean, not not even a question about it. He would have been a top three pick. What concerns me is the injuries. Um, I, I think if you look at it, especially at the corner position, that is something you have to take into account. Now, that doesn't mean to me he's going to, you know, drop massively in, you know, draft boards and then the Cowboys can select him. But, you know, that, you know, I, I think with an injuries piling up one year after another, that's where it raises concern. Um, look, if, and I have the Seahawks taking him, we have Minnesota taking him. If he can get back to that 2019 film that we saw, unless he's playing Devontae Smith, he is going to absolutely be a all-pro corner and be one of the best in the league. There's no, there's no denying that. But it is that injury thing that does concern me, um, especially in the early parts of his career. Yeah, I mean, I think either way, a team's going to get a solid corner in this year's draft. But let's, let's wrap it up the way that the NFL draft is going to wrap it up. And that's with the Lions picking at 32. We both... Kind of have a curveball in here. That's the same curveball for our last pick. Great minds think alike. Uh, We both have the Lions spending the 32nd overall pick on Cincinnati quarterback Desmond Ritter, who I think throughout the draft process process has been named the most NFL-ready quarterback in this class. Yeah, he's he's drawn a lot of comparisons to Dak Prescott. Uh, he's he's not as big as Dak Prescott, um, but you they, you can tell there's something about that Dave Campbell probably loves about this guy. He seems like a leader, um, and obviously they don't have that in the quarterback room right now. I think it's it's a development pick. It's obviously not Desmond Ritter is going to go out there day one and you know be the starter. I think you, golf is still going to be that QB one, but not for long. Not not for long. I mean, this is a Lions team. Um, if they if they can hit on this draft uh, where, you know, I have them getting Aiden Hutchinson, Desmond Ritter. You have them getting Trayvon Walker, Desmond Ritter. 
no matter what the combo is, if they are able to pull this off, I mean, it's an A plus in my book. I mean, if they can get an elite pass rusher with the mix of a quarterback who, like we've mentioned, he's, he's, he's probably the most pro ready quarterback. You give him maybe a year or so. I, I think they're in good shape. No, I agree. I mean, just you, this is your guy. I mean, are you don't want to be in the same position where, Hey, I don't, if I'm looking at for the lions right here, Dan Campbell, I think a lot of people were saying it's like, wow, they were so bad, but the future is bright because they have Dan Campbell <laughs> and the, the culture that he's building there is something that's, that's really special. And a lot of people are going to be saying, Oh, tank and just go for one of the guys next year, like Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. They don't want to be in this position again. And I think if, if they want to be smart here, they have Jared Goff, who's serviceable, but serviceable is not going to get it done in this league. And Desmond Ritter has the tools to be an elite dual threat quarterback in this league. Uh, and why not? You're sitting at 32. Let's take a risk here um, with the Lions. And who? Hey, who knows? You might get your franchise quarterback. So I hope you enjoyed episode 16 of Stop the Clock. Uh, the draft is one day away. We cannot wait. It's going to be an exciting night. So I uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast and have a good day.